Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Steve, we're back here for another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast, fresh off the Toyota Save Mart 350 at Sonoma Raceway. And we have a surprise in store for the fans as we are welcoming back spotter Josh Williams to the podcast. But before we get to that, let's just go briefly through your first impressions on Sonoma this past weekend. Um, you know, except for issues, uh, it was another one of those weeks where they showed uh, what happens and how they handle those issues and how they handle adversity and how they uh, do the things they have to do to, to get the car back up there and, and help the driver as best they can. And um, it, it was a good uh, character building exercise, I guess, you know, and something that they hopefully don't have as many issues with later on. Yeah, I mean, it's just been, it seems like for these road course races this year, there's been so much adversity that the team has faced from getting damaged early on or the tire issues that they faced that we'll talk about a little bit later during this race, that they're always playing catch up a little bit. But the good news is, is that they have been able to survive and come home with some pretty decent finishes. Well, Steve, we're happy to bring spotter Josh Williams back to the Team Blaney podcast. He's a spotter for Ryan Blaney in the NASCAR Cup Series for Team Penske. Past couple of weeks, we've been road course racing on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit, so we just wanted to bring you back, kind of like you did when you were here for our Talladega podcast, and we kind of picked your brain a little bit on what spotting is like at a super speedway. Now we kind of want to pick your brain on what spotting is really like when it comes to the road course races that these guys go to, what's different about it, who else you guys bring in, and um, just how the whole thing comes together and what your vantage point is. So we're really excited to bring you back again What this is time number three on the podcast for you, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Appreciate you having me. Hopefully I can bring back a lot of useful knowledge again, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people really, really enjoyed what you had to say when you uh, walked us through what it's like for super speedway racing. A lot of, a lot of great feedback from that episode. So kind of hoping that we'll get the same response to this, talking about road course racing, especially since we've got, what, seven of them on the schedule this year. So we're going from just a handful of them to, you know, a bountiful harvest of road course racing this year and probably into the future. So, yeah, so I think Steve... Steve's the one that's been behind this one, the idea behind bringing you on for this one. So I think I'm going to let him kick it off with the first yeah. question. Yeah, the first thing is um, uh, talking about having more than one spotter because um, these courses, are they, they're not even built for spotters, are they? The spotter stand's kind of like an afterthought, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just going back to Sonoma last week, we used to stand literally on a hill with no railing or anything. And after a few years, it actually finally did put us a railing there. But we're – our cars are backed up to the railing, and I'll be honest, me and Coleman, that spots for Brad, we sat in the uh, basically the trunk of the car this week and <laughs> leaned up against the railing and had our own little pit box there. So it's definitely a little bit different than you would normally have where you're on top of the spotter stand on top of the suites or top of the grandstand situation like that. So it's it's unique. It's, it's hard um, just because you can't see the whole track compared to other places. That's the least – my least favorite thing to do is spot road courses from that standpoint because you want to kind of be the one doing it all and taking care of your driver when you can't see it like that. But that's the least thing I don't like about it. It's just not being able to see everything. 
And we noticed that like, if anybody follows you on social media, I hope people do, uh, you post a picture to um, sometimes from these road courses, show your vantage point. Um, the guys, there was somebody barbecuing down in front of you at Sonoma. Did you get in on it at all? Or? Did not. The guy with the Airstream in front of us had some great looking cheeseburgers. Like he had all, he had two packs of cheese on one pack of burgers. I love that. So <laughs> I wanted to get one, but it was too far down the hill to it. The, um, the, the road courses uh, so far, I mean, Indy is built for, I mean, I'm not sorry, Indy, but Daytona is built, you know, it's already Daytona. So you're already spotting from about up top there and there might be a blind spot or two. Um, Coda had, there was a bunch of different blind spots. So you had actually three, it was you and two other spotters at, at Coda. Um, how does that work? How do you coordinate that with the other guys? And who are the other guys, by the way? Uh-huh. Yeah, so Coda, that was unique because it's the first time we've ever been there. So you don't really know what exactly your vantage points will be until you get there with campers and hospitality tents and just a crowd. That's a lot different than test sessions. So um, we typically use one extra guy most places, depending on if we need it which that guy is normally Dave Nichols, which is our tire guy for the 12 car. So mule, he, they call him, they call him mule, mule, right? Yeah, mule, yeah. He's, he's the workload, right? Um, so he's always the primary backup guy, the primary secondary guy for me when I need somebody. So if we only need two, he helps a lot. Um, with that, though, when we have practice like at Coda, he's got to do tires. He's got a primary job. So Coda practice, I'm doing the whole thing by myself, mm. which is, yeah, weird. Like, I actually kind of learned the timeline of when he went out of the site when he should be back. So I'm like looking at my watch, like, oh, should see him here in another 10 seconds or so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, there's challenges to it. But Mule is normally our, our secondary guy, and we try to put him in the in the second spot that they'll allow that can see the most because he has the most experience doing it. And then our third guy is always a mixture. Um, we had Jason Yeager at Coda, which is – one of the fabricators and one of the the brake guys at Penske. So he kind of got roped into doing it um, three or four years ago with us because he travels to a lot of the road courses with the brake packages and stuff like that. Right. So he's there a lot. So he kind of got roped into helping race day only. And when we need him now, he's one of the guys that helps us or it's a truck driver. Or realistically, whoever on the team can just kind of get away. Um, it's a little bit harder to take a truck driver or something like that now with the limited people in the garage anyway. Um, so bring somebody like Jason and he goes and does it. So it's hard. It's, it's weird trying to have your hand off spots because a lot of times I'm trying to do the most I can, but there's times that you can see a little more than you're actually spotting, but you're trying not to have too many handoffs. You're yeah. That's what, rotate back and forth every corner. That's what I was kind of talking about, Steve, when we were talking about bringing you on for this, I'm like, I'm picturing it. Like, you know, you're on MRN radio or something and how those guys have it down pat, like how they call the turns and hand it off to the next guy over and over again. So I'm wondering if at the road course, it's almost like that with spotters. You try not to step over each other. Um, yeah. Just kind of give Ryan the best view that he possibly can. It is for sure. Um, thinking back to, to Sonoma this weekend, there's probably a part that Mule could see that I couldn't, but it was in the middle of my section. So we just kind of had a blind 150 feet of track and just nobody really did it just because of trying to hand off with what's going on. It's happening too quick. And then there's a part that he could see, like he did turn seven this week and he could see all the way to the entry, but I had a better view for the exit. But instead of trying to rotate him out, cause he can already see what's happening. I let him just do it. So there's times I'm like, 
would maybe want to say something different or he could see something different, but we don't just because of what we can see. So it's, it's definitely hard. Um, I typically go with printing off a track map and <laughs> color in the sections that I can see and the sections I know that guy can see. And then we try to just narrow it down to the smallest blind spots that we can. Um, but it gets difficult. I mean, code is hard because the car literally gets so far away from you that Ryan can't hear me. So I can't call all the cautions and those guys don't normally do it. So they don't know what to do. So Coda and road America is going to be the same way. When we go there here in a month, it's going to be like that. But Sonoma, I can see 80% of the track myself anyway. So he can pretty much hear me everywhere. Um, so that's a little more comforting, but we had a scenario in, in Coda that I told him the caution was out, but he's so far away. He couldn't hear me. And then like five seconds later, he's like, is the caution out? I just passed like three people. I'm like, yes, I just said it, but he can't hear it. It's yeah. so far away. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't picking up the communication. The yeah. actual technology wasn't keeping up. Um, now you said road, you've been to road America then I take it. Um, yeah. So Ryan raced there in what, 16, 15, 16, something like that. And I went up there with him and I think I went back with Austin one year in the Xfinity car. So I've been up there a couple of times. It's huge, very, very long track. So that's, that'll be a challenge with communication, stuff like that. But our primary spot is close to the entrance of pit road. So we can normally hear the crew chief and kind of help with the pit calls and stuff like that. So that's nice. Have you, have you seen the Indy road course yet or no? Um, I have not seen the Indy road course. No, some guys did it last year, but other than watching on TV, I haven't actually been there for what you can see. Um, I don't really have a spotting kind of what you need there. Last year they had us down in NASCAR or the oval turn one. Mm -hmm. So you really didn't do much because you only did like the last couple corners there before the front stretch. So if they get us on the pagoda, like we used to be, you can see pretty much all of the road course except for the front stretch. So it'll be a lot easier, but I don't know where our spot's going to be there yet. Yeah, I don't say that that's because that's the main thing blocking the backside of the of the of the course is the pagoda. So yeah, yeah you're it'd be best to be right in the middle, I would guess. Um uh, Watkins Glen is Watkins Glen. I mean, is that is that someplace you can do pretty much yourself too, or is it No, it's the problem with Watkins Glen is there's so many trees. <laughs> you go there for a test session and, and there's no crowd, you can see half the track. Mm-hmm. But you go back and there's a crowd and so many trees, you get narrowed down to just seeing, we call it six and seven. But the last two corners for the front stretch in turn one, that's all I can see. Like, they, they start going up to S's and you, no clue. You yeah. just hope he comes back here in about a minute. <laughs> so you watch the big screens or yeah. whatever they got televised there to see it. But walking is tough from that standpoint just because you can't see it all. Now, when you talked about spotting at super speedways, you're kind of looking for guys that are – kind of building up to try to have a run when you're spotting for a road course what are the things that you're looking at you know in the cars behind ryan or in front of ryan that that you want to see are you kind of looking to notice like you know this guy's kind of testing out that he might eventually dive bomb you or is there just something else are you just trying to make sure that he just is aware of who's around him because it can get a little bit physical on these courses yeah it's a lot of it's a total different animal than a than a super speedway would be um, breaking zones, who's aggressive in breaking zones, who takes the chances, who tries to like shove it in there on breaking zones. Um, kind of the passing areas. Sometimes you get places that they're not going to pass and you just, it don't really matter how close somebody is. So a lot more, um, just where people are more aggressive at, where you can pass a lot more strategy, who's on tires, what tires are around, 
stuff like that. Because like the other day at the end of the race, there was a couple guys on on a two stop strategy and some guys on one. So you might be on that one stop strategy and those guys are on two or like flying by you. And you're like, I feel like I'm so slow, but the people that are in your, your race and your strategy, you're still running good times too. So it's a little harder to keep up with that kind of thing. So restarts, there are normally wild because people dive into every corner, trying to outbreak somebody and bouncing off somebody and wrecking them or something like that. So realistically, once you get through the first couple laps and you get a little bit of a, a gap around you, it's a lot more of strategy and just, anybody's coming through there how aggressive they're being i mean most of the time it's race the track not the guys around you correct i mean yeah yeah a lot more a lot more racing the track and just racing every corner lap time more than worried about arrow around people or stuff like that and i know too so i was doing turn 11 the other day and a lot of what i would feedback to ryan was just his gap on the braking zone so he could actually race the track not worry about somebody diving him or something like that so it's just – it's a total different animal. It's fun in some senses, but it's not fun that you can't see the whole track either. The, the terminology has to kind of change too, right? I mean, you can't say inside or outside. No. Yeah, so we say left and right. Um, some guys still do inside, outside, but I think it's wrong <laughs> when you're going through the S's. You can't be right. inside every time, you know? Right. So we do it left and right just to kind of keep it easier. That does get confusing when they're coming at you and the car is – on the driver's side, it looks like it's the right. <laughs> and then you're like, ah, yeah. So it's, it's easy to say it wrong, mm-hmm. but it's easier to just kind of keep the, the flow of just saying lefts and rights on all the corners. And that's something unique to getting your second spotters to do because they don't, they're used to listening to people that say inside, outside. And it's a lot harder to be correct with lefts and rights than, than that way. So that's something that number one thing I tell anybody is like lefts and rights makes it easier and don't call it unless they're there so you're not looking in the mirror the whole time so now you're talking about being in turn 11 at one point and this might just be a general spotting question and you've been doing this for years so it's probably second nature at this point but for me if i was standing there spotting over turn 11 with all of the action that tends to happen in there at sonoma how do you focus (laughs) stay focused on on ryan and, and what's going on and not being like paying attention to other guys dive bombing each other or spinning out or in Ross Chastain's case, just driving through the middle of it and gaining, you know, five, six spots and uh, <laughs> going on his way at the end of that thing. I would say like the restarts, you're pretty much just paying attention to Ryan, but once they kind of get going and there's a, a pack of cars going into those corners, you watch the pack of cars. Cause you know, something, somebody's going to hit somebody. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you'll just see people that start getting more aggressive or mad. And then you could kind of, get that vibe of when that person's going to be that way around you too. So it's, I would say honestly more than a normal oval track, you watch other cars more than just Ryan. Cause a lot of times I mean, road course, you can be out by yourself and clear by 30 or 40 car lengths and nobody's really around you compared to another track. So when he's like that, you kind of can watch other people. And like I said, you can't see him all the time on the track from a spotter standpoint. So you kind of, watch your area of the track that you can see and see what's going on. So that's different too. Yeah. I mean, the last lap uh, Sunday was just mayhem. Um, he, ha- he actually gained what two spots on the last lap, which, you know, you say, well, two spots in any other race doesn't sound a lot, but two spots there in one lap is a lot of, a lot of passing, a lot of things going on. And I know the 34 car got messed up at in turn 11. I don't, you know, it was. Yeah. So the, the 99 and 34 got into it. I guess that would be five just before the carousel. 
Okay. And the 99 went out in the grass and 34 kind of bounced off somebody else. And then <laughs> the 99 got back to him in uh, 11 and made sure that he knew he got back to him <laughs> and that we've benefited from both of those. So I was, there was times in the race, I was like, we're going to finish 25th. And then there was times that we had decent speed. We were just all jacked up with tire problems and strategies right. like that. So the finish 10th, I thought it was a win. I was happy with that. That was, that was going to bring me to the other part of the conversation. Um, uh, people watch the race and something bad happens and it's the end of the world for them, for them. And um, listening to you, it's amazing how quickly um, you've rebounded and then kind of refocused uh, the goals of what, what you're going to do next. Um, how do you find, how, how do you do that? How do you find uh, the patience or, or, or the idea to, to, to keep things or get things on the track? Uh, I don't know sometimes cause I'm not a very patient person myself, but I, I honestly would say a lot of it comes from playing golf just from, and this is probably a cliche, but if you make a, a double or a triple bogey in golf, you can't go out and make a hole in one on the next hole or Eagle and get it all back. You have to take it one hole at a time and slowly get it back. And I think that's the same thing for reason. You have a, you have a tire problem and you drop back to 25th. Like you can't drive by 20 people in the first corner and get back to fifth. It's not going to happen. So you have to have small goals, whether that's get back in the top 20 or stay on the lead lap or back in the top 15. Um, I think the road course this year, we were like 28th with at, at Daytona. I'm thinking we were like 28th with like three to go or four to go. And I told Ryan, I was like, get the top 15. I just, we stay on track and we finished 15th. And after the race, Todd was like, you should have said top 10. Like, we <laughs> kept going. Like, I didn't really think I was going to get a top 15, but I was just trying to keep him on track. And the other day was the same thing. We were 12th. I'm like, let's just get a couple, like don't make a mistake and probably get a top 10. And that's top 10s are cool. It's another point in the stat. So it's just staying in the moment, realize that you can't get it all back and, you have to have small vision and small victories for what you can do. Some days, some days you're an 18th place car and you want to finish 15th. That's a good day. And some days you're a second, third place car and want to win. So just, I've always thought just maximizing your day, whatever that is, if it's three laps down and 30th, but you had problems and maximize that. So that's the way I look at it. It's just staying in the moment and don't let it compound. Just keep trying to maximize it. I mean, I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, like, um, you know, you get a lap down and the first thing you're telling him is, okay, there's four guys on a lap in front, a lap down in front of you. You got to get to this guy by, you know, by this point in time. I mean, you literally give, um, something to, to focus on, you know, and it, it really seems to sharpen everything from that point forward to, to get to that goal, you know? Yeah. I, I try to, yeah, it's, it's like I said, just trying to have the, the small window and what's going on at the moment. Whether it's if you're a lap down car trying to get be the lucky dog, if you're the last car on the lead lap trying to do everything you can to stay in front of the leader, don't overdrive it or try too hard and let him catch you. Don't make mistakes with lap cars or be complacent with where you're running. So just small goals always, whether that's lap 10 trying to pass one car that maybe pitted around us on pit road or at the end of the race trying to finish 10th instead of 11th. I always rather finish 10th and 11th. Something about that just sounds better yeah, to me. Yeah, so. the, word, the word top 10 is better than top 15. Exactly. Yeah. I like when Fox tweets it or NBC tweets it, like like this tweet or retweet it if they top 10. Yeah. I like those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to, uh, like to think a lot of um, 
what we've seen with Ryan on road courses this year. A lot of it's just been coming back from this adversity, and I think it's really showing what his skills are. So it's, it's just, at some point, hopefully in the next four or five that we have, he could just be lights out, not have, I mean, like tires were coming apart this weekend. At Coda, obviously had a ton of damage. He ended up with damage again this weekend at Sonoma. So it's like I'm just waiting for him, you know, to start up front or get up there on strategy and have a chance, at least have a shot at, at win because we've been seeing these weeks where, yeah, he just gets behind and we spend the whole race. At least it's been interesting uh, for some of them to watch you guys kind of scrape back. I mean, yeah. getting that top 10, to like, I don't want to say it felt like a win this weekend, but I was I was probably the most excited I've been in the last few weekends because, yeah. like you're saying, you know, he was 12th or 13th, you know, with one to go, and then luckily a couple of guys get together and he's able to, to be able to survive and just, like you said, just that one extra spot, like, means, yeah. means everything. It feels a lot better about that one spot. So I agree. I think he's got a ton of talent on a road course. It's just having a smooth day and being up there the whole time. I think a lot of times it's almost harder at road courses to stay out of trouble some just because so many different strategies and you go to the back, to the front, to staying out and people coming. I think a lot of it's just playing out. Like I don't, I don't really look at any of them that we did anything wrong. I mean, deals with tires this week or whatever. And just trying to come back from that when we were running pretty good. Like we probably could have ran top five ish if we have a smooth day, if we don't have that problem. So just rebound from that is pretty good, I think. Yeah, he recognized the, the tire issues pretty quick there. And you guys went pretty quick into emergency mode to get him on pit road and everything there. Uh, yeah, the, the first time he thought something was broke just because it happened so quick. And he said it just started chattering and everything was moving around the rear end. And he didn't know what it was. And he actually went off in the dirt. And it was in my section. He just kind of came in sight. And then he was all by himself. And he's like screaming before he even got to the dirt. And we were talking about like, I don't know how he didn't hit the wall or the tires because he was way out in the dirt, but mm-hmm. got back in on track and came back around and lost a little time, but nothing crazy. And then the next time he noticed the tire coming apart because he felt the same thing and it was in the front, not the rear. So that happened at the top of the S's. So he was already headed down the pit road and it was in a, in a window that we can make it. So we, we made a decision pretty quick there. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, the TV covered this briefly and played an audio clip from him that maybe could have sounded negative. Um, but what happened when he got the damage uh, early on? The you know the Fox broadcast just played a clip of him saying, "Well, I guess I gotta move my teammates out of the way from now on." It's I'm sure it was said in frustration, but do you know exactly what happened at, at that the, point in the race at all? The audio was before the damage. Was it okay? Yeah, um, yeah. and the damage was another vehicle coming down on us in turn eleven. We were underneath them. Okay, but it wasn't the same. That's what it was the same car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we're not going to number name numbers. I, I kind of figured out who it was, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. The, from watching it on uh, TV, it did seem like he was being very patient. He was, there's a good chunk of that first part of the race where he was behind Brad and it's like, man, I bet if that was just anybody else, he probably would have uh, gotten past him a little bit more aggressively. But I was like, you seem to be playing nice, but then, yeah, <laughs> then the things kind of took a turn. The time of the race too, you know, like, yeah. Lap five or something, it's a little more patient than it is at the end. And with no practice, you're still learning the track. Like, not learning the track, but learning what your car is. So, some other, like, we struggled the first three or four laps there, and then we were really good up until that comp caution. So, a lot of just kind of getting back in the rhythm of the track, the feel of it, because you haven't ran any laps. So, how much grip does it have? Like, where are you going to be good at? What's your car like? So, it's a little more patient at the beginning like that, I think, too. And that pays off with 
kind of lasting and passing people. Do you have a favorite road course that's coming up this year, or have we already gone to it um, and you're looking forward to it next year? Um, I like Watkins Glen a lot because I got my first win there, and I think it's a great road course for the stock cars um, with a little bit longer straightaways and stuff like that. Um, so Watkins Glen is always one of my favorites, and then probably Sonoma behind that. I don't – the new ones are – they are what they are. It's cool. I, I like the nostalgia of the Indy Oval. So I don't know how, how that's going to feel at the road course. Um, and then Road America, like I said, it's it's a really cool area, but you can only see a couple corners there. So I don't enjoy just a couple corners. I like the whole thing. I would like to see what happens if, if they get back to Coda next year when the weather's not there. I think Steve and I had talked before that maybe it would have just been a boring race. But the other thing about Coda compared to some of these other courses that they had so much runoff room. Like at Sonoma, you go off the track, there's dust and grass and everything flying. If you kind of went off track at Coda, it was just like, all right, well, I just can, I just have to watch when I get back on. So um, lots of different things that are that are happening at these different courses, it seems like. Yeah, I, I would, yeah, I would say Coda, there's a lot of room at Sonoma, but most of it's grass or a lot of it's paved at Coda. Um, probably a little harder to get a caution there just because, like you said, you kind of spin out. We will be going faster if it's not raining, obviously. So it's how far do you get off track if you spin out. But I think it would fairly kind of be hard to have a caution there. So I think that kind of spreads it out and you just go off the stages where Watkins Glen on with wreck it's pretty big and it's a caution and it kind of bunches it up and changes the races a little bit. So, yeah, it's, it's hard. We were – Actually, I had a conversation with somebody after the race on Sunday. Like, it'd be awesome if they would, like, water that dust at Sonoma so you run off and it's not so much dust because you drop one tire there and you think the whole field's right. <laughs> like, it's crazy mm-hmm. how much dust kicks up. Yeah, the, you guys literally were saying uh, it's just dust or it's just, you know, you're yeah. letting the guys know when they're driving up into something that it's not an accident they're driving up into because – Yeah, I try to because I, I know how bad it is and – when you see dust seven, eight cars ahead, you don't know if there's somebody sitting sideways in front of them or if it's just a tire dropped off. So I try to warn him just so he doesn't give up too much time with it. Right. Sometimes it's not just dust, but it looks like it's the same dust. <laughs> so don't want to jump too far ahead because there's not even one of these on the schedule, but obviously we had the uh, iRacing event on that theoretical Chicago <laughs> street course uh, within the last week. Do you, th- one, think maybe it's a good idea to go street course racing. And two, do you think with, there's no runoff there basically. Um, yeah. Do you think it'll, it'll work? I mean, we're going to be in a totally different car as well going forward. So with some different capabilities, I think it would work for sure. Um, it needs to be a better track than they came up with for our racing. Cause it was a lot of 90 degree corners that were really tight. And mm-hmm. the, the game is a lot harder to run closer to each other than it is in real life just because you don't get the perception of what's around you and how far you are from something. So I think it'd be awesome to run on a street course somewhere or you get somewhere, I don't know, like Sebring or somewhere like that. It's a little bit bigger. Like you have more room around it. It's not just in the city. But I think it'd be awesome to do. And I think it's it's possible with the new car coming up because I think it's going to be really good for road course racing. Um, but, yeah, the iRacing race didn't really – play out that well it, it was a hard track it was a lot of yep. 90 degree corners that were two car lengths wide on a game and when you hit one of the tires and get stuck in it the whole track's blocked so, yeah i tell you what ryan hung in there for a while in the top five and then 
I, they went to commercial and he dropped off the face of the earth. But, <laughs> but I, was, I, was, I was pretty impressed. He was doing really good until he came around one of those 90-degree corners and there was a car with the number 47 on the side backing out of the tire barrier. <laughs> you dare me not to hit him really hard and blew our motor. So that was pretty much the end of it after that. But, yeah, he had some good speed, but there was other cars out there. That was the problem. <laughs> so we're heading to Texas this weekend for the All-Star Race. It's a non-points event. Um, just a, kind of seems like a way for them to stay on the schedule with two races. Ryan does fairly well there. He did did well there in the Xfinity Series. He has a pole at Texas previously, second-place finish, a couple other decent finishes. What is your outlook for this weekend, and do you have the – do you even know anything about the, what, six stages, inverts, random draws? Is that even something you're concerned about at all? Or you just leave that yeah. strategy to Todd? Yeah, definitely leave the strategy to Todd. I just spot. Like I, so every time anybody asks me about strategy, I just spot. That's that's a different department. Um, I really don't know anything about it. I know there's a bunch of, like, 15-lap stages and then some inverts and then, like, a 10-lap stage or something. I don't know. My thing is maximize every stage and – Start wherever they tell you and maximize the next one. So I saw we were starting dead yeah, last. You, so you guys got them. You guys got everybody right where you want them. Yeah, we can see them all. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. We we're coming. So that, that's good for the inverts. <laughs> Whenever they invert, we'll be good for one of them. But mm-hmm. I assume there's some form of kind of bonus for passing people. So maybe you can maximize that with starting back there. So hopefully we fire off good. So I don't know a whole lot about the the strategy or the stages really maximize all of them and then invert and do it again so that's one cool thing about the offside race you're not really racing for an end goal you're racing just to win it there's no points or none of that matters so just go like crazy and stick your nose anywhere it'll fit now are you prepared because with all of those stages that means a lot of restarts and the way they're talking about i don't like to talk about the package that much but i know they've they're lowering the horsepower for this weekend even more, probably trying to get the cars even closer together. I'm guessing the restarts are going to be nuts. They're already nuts in the all-star race anyway because no points, just money on the line. So are you prepared to for like just to kind of over and over again, every 15 laps have to build back up uh, yeah. that energy? And For sure. That's the most fun anyway for a mile and a half, I think, is the restarts when they're all packed up. So the more packed up, the better, I think, for us once we can get up there. The, the problem with the packed up is if you're 17th on the initial start, that that's 16 cars that are going to be directly in front of you three wide. So where are you going to go? That's the only problem with it. But I, the restarts are fun. Like I love that. Like I'd rather them just be 10 lap stages and just get it over with and restart and throw a caution. So that'll be fun. Um, I think the package will be a little tighter than what we run already, but Texas is already wide open through everywhere except for turn one and with this package you might even be wide open there so i don't know i think it'll just kind of be pack racing really like you'll just kind of be bunched up together and i think that that first time we did that package nobody knew what they were doing yet Hmm. so it was all kind of packed up way it looked cool and then once we all worked on our cars and made it better we kind of got spread back out so i don't think it'll be that packed up as everybody's imagining yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see what they do. I think that was definitely the idea behind this whole package was to, I don't know, almost turn it into a mini 
drafting track at this point to get the cars bunched up together, get them drafting off each other, going wide open. Yeah, they said in the the normal package, I think through one and two, you can't really be wide open. Three and four is, and since they've they've kind of changed the turns over the last few years. Um, and what PJ one is always a big deal. I know it's a horrible deal for the IndyCar series when they go there, they complain about it, but, um, for NASCAR, I know they've been putting PJ one down in the turns as well. And I don't know how much you even necessarily care about that stuff. I guess you probably do have to tell them when it looks like it's warming in or working in at some point, has that added a whole new thing to your responsibilities? It matters. And it, it matters. Once it starts, you can run through it without losing time. Like, it's still up to him if it feels better when he goes in it, but I kind of let him know once there's other people in it just so he didn't want to go up there and bust his butt. But Texas, it normally matters in one and two, not really so much in three and four. So I, the race being so short, I don't know if it'll matter because normally it takes longer runs for that to get heat in it. Um, yeah, I don't. I doubt it'll matter that much. It'll probably matter more in the truck race on Saturday and the Xfinity race on Saturday than the race on Sunday. Yeah, always enjoy that those guys get to test it out before the cup cars have to get out there on track. (laughs) Send the younger rookies out there and let them figure it out. Mm -hmm. All right, Josh, well, thank you for coming in, uh, coming in uh, on the show again. We definitely appreciate you giving us some of your time, some of your insight, and let the listeners just learn. Um, I don't think you guys, there's not always that big of a spotlight on the spotters. Thankfully, the last couple of years, they've been putting you guys on TV a little bit more so they can hear uh, the information that you're sharing, especially during restarts. restarts. So thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, we hope to have you on again a couple more times before the year's out. No problem. Anytime. Thanks for having me. So now that we have Josh's perspective on the race at Sonoma and road course racing in general and a little bit of the all-star race thrown in, Why don't we go ahead and run through our own recap of the Toyota Save Mart 350 and Ryan Blaney's finish. Ryan Blaney, race recap. Sonoma Raceway. All right, uh, we got uh, stages of uh, 20, 40, and 90 laps, and uh, the competition caution was at lap 10. Two spotters, Josh and then Dave Nicholas, who they call Mule. They starting 11th and Larson the pole there. I think 38 to the rear was one of the only ones I heard and a fuel window of 34 to 37 laps. And I wrote that down because this is one of those strategy things that if the race stays green, the whole race, 90 laps, um, some teams could do it on a two pit stop strategy, come in twice, get the fuel and the tires and go. And some teams might be on a three pit stop strategy because they figure tires are more important and gaining time on track, you know, through that, uh, that manner. Now, we have some cautions that come up and it changes all the strategies, but uh, under normal circumstances, if it stays green, that, that fuel window is important to know. Basically right off the get go uh, starts 11th and ends up uh, 13th after first couple of laps. And uh, he talks about having no rear grip. And this is something that, you know, they will be able to fix on the, on the pit stop. Any feedback he gives, um, they'll make the uh, air pressure adjustments or whatever adjustments they need to make. Lap six, Todd and Josh both tell them the lap times are pretty good here. So they're racing the track, not the guys around them. And this is a key to road course racing. You know, after the restart happens and they get spread out, you want to kind of like get in a rhythm, run good laps, and don't destroy the car. Don't destroy the tires best you can. You know, the more you race against somebody, uh, the more you wear your stuff out and maybe your lap times suffer because of it. So, you know, lap nine, they say the same thing. The pace is pretty good. Uh, they get to that competition caution. Some teams are going to pit, but right beforehand, 
and they're not allowed to take fuel beforehand. And like I said, there's alternative strategies or strategies all day long here that, uh, you just never really know what's going to happen and what's going to work. Um, we'll see later on that it seems, I mean, we can keep talking about strategy, but later on it just seemed like different parts of the race strategy was thrown out the window or strategy didn't matter because there was a car that was pretty elite uh, as the thing went. But strategy has also led to some pretty great finishes, including the last time we were at Sonoma in 2019, Orion finished third because of some pretty decent strategy towards the end of the race. So early on, it's definitely something you need to pay attention to and then kind of gives you something to count down as you go through the race. At this competition caution, Todd uh, tells them to come in because there's not enough buffer. So basically what they figured was they were thinking about staying out, but what they wanted to have happen is enough guys behind them that were going to stay out too, so that there'd be a buffer between new tires and old, you know, old tires and new tires coming up through the field. Um, but too many guys just went ahead and, and they just, so they just decided to come in and pit too. Lap 13, they're 25th on the restart and uh, they gain a spot or two by lap 17 up to 21st, 17th at lap 19 and some pit here before the end of the stage break was before the pits close. Uh, the end of the stage happens and the five wins and if the TV is talking about, did he miss pitting <laughs> his strategy should have been to pit they showed on tv some sort of statistic about how teams that win stages in road courses don't necessarily win the race because they're not racing everybody on the field and they're trying to win a stage and this puts them behind in the strategy um unfortunately the five car it didn't matter what strategy they were on as, as the day goes on they could start 15th and within three or four laps be back up in the top five so this strategy this thing about should they have pitted it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah definitely seemed to confuse larry mcreynolds uh, on the broadcast because he's like just seemed a little bit dumbfounded that he didn't they didn't come in it's like okay we'll see what happens ryan they do stay out they got up to fifth place here. The, the one, the 21, the two, the 11 all stay out in front of him. And Larson restarts, like I said, he starts 15th on that restart. They start at lap 25th. Ryan makes a pass or two, gets up to fourth position. The 24 ends up passing him, so he ends up in fifth at this point. And lap 28, some of the cars are coming on tires now. Five, the nine, 19 are starting to come up behind him. Ryan does say something about having to move every one of his teammates. Uh, possibly there's some, some uh, frustrations going on there and he gets a little damage on the left front. Uh, but he's in eighth place at this point. So, and he says the tires are killed because he's got to race people. And once again, it's like I said earlier, um, you're going to be racing the, the track and not, not other people. And once you have to race other people, you start to wear your equipment out a little bit and uh, it causes, uh, causes those lap times to go down a little bit. Caution happens at lap 31 for the 47 car. Uh, they're pitting at this point. They're going to take uh, four tires, fuel in eighth, but something happens on the pit stop here. Now, they end up, they weren't going to fix the damage originally is what it was. But when they come around to pit the left side of the car, the jack got hit by one of the wheels that came off, the front left wheel when it, when it came off. They hit the jack handle. That's why they kind of lost the jack. At this point, quickly, Todd says, let's go ahead and fix the damage. So we know we're going to take a little longer on the stop. So let's just go ahead and fix the damage while we're trying to get the jack back under it. And this actually ends up being a good move here because it puts the car back together. You know, that can end up being a tire row, but it could end up coming ripping off when you hit a curb or something. So it was really worth fixing. I was really surprised how long they, he ran after the damage in the first place because they showed it a couple of times on the broadcast. And I thought for sure at some point it would come apart or cause that rub, cause a tire failure. 
but he was able to soldier on there. So when the jack did fall, I just assumed they were going to do the damage anyway. So I was already prepared for them to lose spots during this pit stop. And they did anyway, but they did get everything back together. And um, it wouldn't be the only damage he would get throughout the day, <laughs> but uh, it seemed to be the most significant. Yeah. And the thing about this, as you're watching those road, uh, road course races, don't don't uh, let that discourage you. Now, they do start 30... Uh third here on a restart but we know that the different strategies things happen and uh, things can change quickly so um you know lap 37 some of the cars are pitting at the end of the stage um ryan ends up gains a spot loses a spot 27th at the end of the stage and larson wins stage two once again fox is like why is he trying to win the stages you know it's going to mess up the strategy for the end of the race they decide to stay out and end up 14th on the restart coming out to the third stage here and they tell him he's inside the pit window soon. So basically, that's what they're going to do. They're going to try to try to do this in one more stop, get to the pit window, and go from there. Uh, the restart in lap 44. See, the 19 is with Ryan. It should uh, pass him on the restart there because they've got newer tires. So they kind of warn him of the guys who've got newer tires and he doesn't have. 10th, 11th, 12th, the next couple laps, a couple of new tires come by him, basically. By lap 48, it kind of levels out. 11th place at this point. But once again, they tell him, do, you're doing great. Just race the track. Um, Todd tells him they're doing a nice pace there. Uh, he passes the four, gets up to 10th, passes the 20, up to ninth, passes the 24, up to eighth. And that's all in like two or three laps. So they tell him it's coming back to you. You know, the guys who've worn their stuff out, he's gaining on them and he's running a good pace and, uh, starting to move his way right up into the top 10 there. At lap 52 is only about 10 seconds back of the lead in, uh, eighth place. So he passes the two up into seventh. And um, they tell him that even the one car is coming back to him. And then all of a sudden, lap 53, he's got a problem. And it says it's wheel hopping. He thinks there's either a loose wheel or there's something wrong with a gear. And it's pretty panicked on the radio because they're not really sure what. You know, he's, he's, he's selling something's wrong. It's the left rear that came apart. And they hurried up and pitted before it got blown up. And I know Bubba Wallace had, had one blow up and he had to hobble around the, the, the track. So Ryan recognizing it. And realizing there was a problem and bringing it in as quickly as possible really saved them. And on a road course like this, you've got time to pit and not lose the lead lap. So it was a really smart thing to do, and they handled it really well. Yeah, it was another example of some adversity that they're facing. Again, unfortunately, it happened multiple times in this race from the damage that they got earlier on. And then the tire failures that kind of keep popping up. It happened to Joey Logano early in the race with the rear tire. Ryan, it ends up happening to a couple of times during this race. And he had just, I think this was that point in the race where it seemed like, you know, he had like a rocket ship. He was passing guys seemingly every lap, made us all the, all the way back up into the top 10 again. Things were looking great. And then boom, something, something goes wrong again, but they have to find a way to battle through. Now they think they might be in the pit window at this point because they're lap 56. And they said it was the left rear on the on this one here, and it, they said something about delaminating, which they showed it on TV, and um, it was really kind of weird because it didn't look like it was something that the setup of the car had caused, you know. Um, so lap 56, 25th place, and 57 up to 23rd, and in a lap or two more, he's all the way up to 21st. He's catching the guys in front of him. He's got fresher tires now too, and then some of the others are start to pit now too. So he gains. Uh, a bunch of spots up to 16th by lap 61 and they tell him to get all you can probably going to be end up splitting the stage into two basically he's up to 13th by lap 63 and like i said some other cars are, are pitting at this point too so he gets all the way up to seventh and at lap 65 he's saying something about something's might be 
falling apart again and there's something with the tire and it's the right front that uh, is might be coming apart and it was really weird because the other tire was the left rear so this is the opposite side of the car the opposite tire completely so like i said it doesn't sound like any some sort of setup issue and they hurry up and uh, come apart it's before it comes apart they hurry up and get in there lap uh, 66 back to 25th like i said it didn't lose a lap or nothing but they hurried up and pitted by lap 70 he passed the six car he's up to 23rd and now we get a couple cautions here we get a caution at lap 71 for the double zero and he's 23rd they do end up pitting here and lose a spot or two i think they were kind of like working on just making sure that the, any kind of damage was clear uh four cars stayed out that's that's part of how they lost some position and the restart happens on lap 74 and then there's a caution two laps later in 76 and ryan says he tells him he got drilled and um Josh says it's no real damage. Uh, you got hit between the numbers on the door side there, and that they were going to head and uh, stay out. And he ends up 20, 20th at that point. Really seemed like these cautions, I don't know if they came at a good time or not, but it made things interesting. Uh, there were points in the race when the Hendrick cars were just kind of running away with it. So this at least made it to where up front, which we're not talking too much about because Ryan's, Ryan's battling his way back up through the field at this point. But at least made things interesting up front. They got to battle for the win amongst themselves for a little while here. But it also gave time for Ryan to kind of play catch-up as they went. Could get a restart here, kind of get past a couple of guys, reset again, another restart, and then we keep going till the end of the race. Yeah, lap, uh, lap 79 is 20th by lap 84. He's up to 15th. Lap 85, he passed another car. He's 14th. And uh, they're staying out there because there was a caution at lap 85 and uh, Todd lets him know he's P14. Ryan just gives him a nice 10-4 back. You know, we know what we got to do from here uh, position-wise. So the restart is at lap 87, and then there's a caution for the 38. <laughs> he's up to 12th at this point. Now the hood is pushed in down, and um, they ask him if there is um, water pressure issue, you know, if, there's a, if they're losing water or anything like that. And he kind of gives them a temperature reading or pressure reading. Maybe it was Ryan says it's up to the motor guys. Should we come in? Should we do, you know, and it's really, really funny. He asks like, what can it drop to or something like that? And Todd just goes, stay out. <laughs> Basically he knows there's two laps. You know, if it's going to blow up, it'll blow up. Um, let's just do what we got to do with the green, white checkered in the last lap. You know, Josh tells him, he says, you're P12. So let's go get a couple. And uh, basically he passes two cars in the last lap. Uh, Larson does win, but Ryan finishes in the top 10. And it was pretty exciting last lap. He got to turn 11 there, and uh, somebody was bumping into the 34, the 99, we're hitting each other, and Ryan went right around everybody and top 10 with everything that happened. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It was one of those times where you didn't really see see it until the replay happened, how Ryan made it through that mess toward at the end. But I'm like, what, waiting. And it took a while because Larson was so far out ahead, but waiting to see if, if he would get that top 10 because you knew something was happening and you weren't quite sure just what. And they're just waiting, waiting, assuming it was probably going to be maybe 11th and then boom, 10. It's like, all right. <laughs> it's not, uh, I said earlier, it's not like it was a victory or something uh, feeling, but it was exciting to at least you know, one spot further, uh, like Josh was saying a little bit earlier, means means a lot uh, when it comes to NASCAR racing. So uh, pretty decent rebound for this team, I would say. Another weekend, I know we keep talking about it. They just keep battling adversity, adversity week after week, uh, sometimes of their doing. This case, it doesn't seem like it was much of his doing or the team's doing. It was just some kind of freak tire issues and uh, just some bumper cars out there on the road course. So 
um, I'm pretty excited about uh, the way that he's performed this year. Um, I said earlier as well that I'm hoping at some point we just get to a point where he's up front at a road course, the strategy plays out right, and he just has a clean race to where you're not battling back from something uh, damage or a tire issue or something like that and he has a chance to actually get up there like he did when he won at the Roval and put himself in position to where he could possibly go to victory lane so uh, for me it was a pretty decent race the cautions made it interesting at the end of it and came out of Sonoma with a fairly decent finish as well with that top 10 um, taking a look at the NASCAR Cup Series point standings uh, Ryan holds down the 8th position. He is 155 points back of the leader, Denny Hamlin, who at one point really seemed like he had a stranglehold on the first place position in the Cup Series standings. Now he is just 47 points ahead of Kyle Larson. Um, so at this point, it is maybe uh, time. It's not time for Hamlin to be you know concerned about making the playoffs or anything. But for him, it's without a victory... So far this season, if he doesn't win, he was kind of banking on maybe those extra bonus points you get for winning the regular season championship. Now it's looking like it's going to be even tighter for for that to happen. Not to say that that 11 car won't go to victory lane before the uh, regular season is out. He probably will. But it's interesting to see people kind of chip away at this points lead. Uh, Ryan has dropped a couple of spots over the last few weeks from 5th down to 8th, but points-wise hasn't really dropped that many points overall, so he's looking pretty good in the projected playoff standings that you'll see uh, a couple people report. He's still in about in the 5th place position, so once things would reset, if they reset today for the playoffs, he'd be in 5th going into that first round. So overall, I think the team is sitting pretty good. Had a pretty decent weekend at Sonoma overall. And I think it's time to move on and go through some history lessons here with me in my NASCAR history book as we take a look at this week in NASCAR history. This week in NASCAR history. Up first in this week in NASCAR history, we have June 8th, 1950. Tickets go on sale for the first 500-mile stock car race at the new Darlington Raceway. Prices range from $3 general admission to $10 for lower row box seats. The event is sanctioned by the Central States Racing Association after NASCAR turns down the initial offer from track president Harold Brasington. I wonder how long a day um, that race was, you know. I mean, no uh, no kidding at all aside. I mean, that had to be a really long day at the speeds they were running back then on that track. I think the other thing here is that I don't – it doesn't say exactly how many cars showed up, but I believe – Back in those times, like, it wasn't a 36-car field, a 40-car field. There's like 60, 70 cars showing up, and the attrition is just crazy. So that's why guys end up winning these races back in that era by 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 15 laps because guys are going out there with their cars uh, that they've tried their best to turn into race cars, and then at some point, they just end up failing. Next up, June 11th, 1962, Ford Motor Company announces that it will actively support selected NASCAR Grand National Racing teams breaking from the 1957 resolution established by the American Manufacturers Association. June 8th, 1968, Richard Petty dominates the 100-mile NASCAR Grand National Race at Birmingham Speedway. David Pearson finishes third, but is later disqualified for using improper tires. 
Moving on to June 13th, 1982, Tim Richmond drives a Buick to his first career NASCAR Winston Cup Grand National victory in the 400-kilometer event at Riverside International Raceway. And finally, rounding out this week in NASCAR history, June 9th, 1991, Ricky Rudd finishes first, but NASCAR disallows his final lap and declares Davey Allison the winner in the controversial race at Sears Point, which is now Sonoma. Rudd knocks Allison into a spin with just over a lap to go and speeds to victory. Allison recovers and finishes four seconds behind Rudd, but is elevated to first when NASCAR assesses Rudd a five-second penalty. Wow, that's like a Formula One thing there. You cause the accident and uh, they give you a time penalty. Very interesting. I'm not sure if you'll you'll see that these days. What, Rubbin's racing? Is that how it goes now? Boys have at it? <laughs> yeah. All right, that was a nice jog through NASCAR history. Tune in again next week, and I'll give you some more interesting dates from the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Texas Motor Speedway. Steve, the NASCAR Cup Series is headed back to the great state of Texas. We were just there a couple of weeks ago, racing at Circuit of the Americas. This time, the Cup Series visits Texas Motor Speedway for the NASCAR All-Star Race. What do you think about that? I think Ryan's got them all right where he wants them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, tell the folks where Ryan's going to be starting uh, in this race. Well, they drew uh, the starting lineup. They didn't do it by any matrix or anything like that. And Ryan somehow got the 17th position, which uh, there'll be one or two guys with him back there in the back once the open uh, is over and those guys transfer in. But uh, he's got everybody else right in front of him, right where he wants them. So if you you want to watch this race, you can tune in for the All-Star Open and the All-Star Race Sunday, June 13th at Texas Motor Speedway. 6 p.m. Eastern Time is when the Open starts, and then 8 p.m. Eastern Time is when the All-Star Race is set to start on FS1 and on PRN with radio and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Now, this race specifically, the All-Star Race, it's been at Charlotte, it was at Bristol last year, now it's moved on to Texas Motor Speedway, and... The the lineup of the night, or the 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 way the stages fall, the everything is just kind of a little bit wacky this year. Steve, have you been reading through any of this, and have you been able to decipher anything, or do you need me to go kind of line by line and explain what's about to happen? Well, I see there's six six different stages. They call them rounds, and it looks like a bunch of 15 lap rounds, a 30 lap round, a 10 lap round. But there's some inversions happening here. What? Okay, yeah. So kind of go through it a little bit. On, on each round. So the All-Star Open, where the drivers that haven't qualified to be in the All-Star Race just yet this year, a uh, little bit simpler of a format. 50 laps in total. There's three stages, 20 laps, 20 laps, 10 laps. The winner of each stage of each stage in the Open will advance to the All-Star Race. The driver with the highest total in the fan vote that's not already in the race will also get a final spot in the All-Star Race. So that's four guys that will potentially start behind Ryan, who drew that last spot for the Uh, the guys that did advance into the all-star race now let's take a look at the all-star race format the race will feature six rounds totaling 100 laps starting lineup for round one was determined by that random draw rounds one through four will be 15 laps each round five will be 30 laps the final round will feature a 10 lap shootout at the beginning of round two, the field will be inverted via a random draw, a minimum of eight or a maximum of 12 drivers that will happen live on the telecast. Before the start of round three, the entire field will then be inverted. 
At the beginning of round four, the field will be inverted via a random draw this time, minimum of eight, maximum of 12. The starting positions for Ryan... For round five will consist of the cum- uh, cumulative finish from rounds one through four. This is where it gets crazy. The lowest cumu- cumulative finisher starts on the pole. The second lowest starts second and so forth. All cars must enter pit road for a mandatory four tires pit stop during round five. So let's continue on. <laughs> if you're not keeping notes already, you probably should. Uh, the starting positions in the final round are set by finishing positions of round five. In this race, only green flag laps will count. Again, there's 100 laps in the race. The fastest team on pit road during the mandatory pit stop will earn themselves a $100,000 payday. And then the race winner of the NASCAR All-Star Race at Texas Motor Speedway will win $1 million. All right, now I got it. I kind of got it. I kind of, round five is going to be kind of interesting there because it'll, the first four rounds, if, the guys who finished the best basically they line up in the front so even if you you know had to race from the back to the front in those segments uh good finishes and you get to be in the front for the rest of the race that kind of makes sense the other thing to take note of is that overall um the rules packages are staying the same except for the tapered spacer that they put on the car is going to be a little bit smaller this weekend that could cut the horsepower down from 550 horsepower to about 510 horsepower i've said before i none of that stuff really interests me that much i don't think that that's that big of a deal josh said that maybe it'll slow those guys down uh back into a little bit tighter of a pack if anything so we'll see what's happens what happens with that if you really want to read into this um I'll just plug jayski.com. Uh, one, glad to see them back over the last couple of years. Back to them old selves we get back to their old selves again. Um, but they have pretty much have this all-star race format line by line if you want to really understand. But what I think we would tell you to do is just watch the race and enjoy it. I'm pretty sure that the guys in the Fox booth will keep you uh, up to date on what's going to happen round by round as it goes. Um, I am interested in the fact that uh, none of the caution laps are going to count in, in between the stage breaks. I know that's even something that people have talked about wanting to see um, during the regular season and regular races uh, to make uh, make it to where there's more green flag racing. So, yeah, Ryan overall at Texas Motor Speedway, he's made 12 starts in his career. He has three top five, six top tens, an average finish of 173 He does have a pole at Texas coming in the 2018 race where he went on to finish second. Um, His last three starts there have been pretty promising. In uh, the fall race 2019, he finished eighth. In uh, 2020, he finished seventh. In the first race there, the second race, he finished fourth. So trending in the right direction. He does have a couple of issues where he crashed out and some engine failures along the way. Uh, but yeah, one of the tracks that he actually, you know, has, you know, fairly decent amount of starts at when we looked at Sonoma last weekend, he'd only been there four times. So in this case, he's been there 12 times. He's also run really well there in the Xfinity series and the truck series in the past. So it's one of those tracks that I think that he can excel at And Hey, it's not a points race, but a million dollars is on the line. Yeah. The engine package thing that you were talking about, uh, is going to make a huge difference, especially since. They might not even have to lift going into one or one and two, and if it, they're flat out around the track the whole time, um, you know, it's basically who's got the biggest pair sometimes in that situation, and uh, you know that'll be fun to watch. 
So again, if you want to tune into the NASCAR All-Star Race and the All-Star Open, the Open starts at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. The All-Star Race is set to, start, set to start at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on FS1, PRN, Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio, if you want to listen on the radio for another exciting visit to the great state of Texas and Texas Motor Speedway. Steve, I have exciting news to report to you. What is it, Adam? It's that the Team Blaney admin, Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League team, finished second in points earned this past weekend at Sonoma Raceway. So, Steve, I think you're second in top five somewhere in the standings. You better watch out because this train is rolling to the top of the standings. So let's take a look at the top ten in points earned this past weekend in the NASCAR Fantasy Live League. Blaney kicks beep. Finished first with 243 points. My team, Team Blaney Admin, finished in second with 240 points. Bulldog 0277 was third. Also tied for third was Glitterbugs. In fifth, we had Flying Ryan 12. In tied for fifth, we had Rogue Tough. In seventh, we had Pea Shoot Bill. In eighth, we had Rogers T. In ninth, we had Go Larson. And tied for tenth, we had the Dalai Lama 4 and Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing. Real good weekend in your household there on the fantasy. It did. We were both ended up in the top 10 there. That's actually pretty exciting. Let's take a look at my roster that I had in there that I set minutes before the start of this race because I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, but I ended up picking pretty well. I had Austin Dillon starting. I had Kyle Larson. Ryan Blaney was in my team. Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch. I had Joey Logano in the garage. I didn't... Uh, end up utilizing him. I had picked Chase Elliott to be the race winner. That didn't work out, but I picked Kyle Larson to be the top Chevrolet, so that got me the bonus points. I picked Ryan to be the top Ford. He was close. He was a second. Um, I picked Martin Truex Jr. to be the top Toyota. That worked out for me. I picked Chevrolet as the top manufacturer. That worked out for me. I picked Hendrick Motorsports as the top team. So Steve will say that I've just been copying his strategy, which really has been almost going all in when it comes to the bonus picks. And I can't lie, it's working. Who did you uh, have in your roster this past weekend? I had a roster. <laughs> <laughs> See, sometimes the strategy works. Yeah, well, not that's all the, the time. thing. Is you you got to pick the right guys. That's the thing. And you did You did pick the right guys. I, I had Kyle Busch. I had Kevin Harvick. I, I ended up putting Ryan in uh, early in the race because I, I had Tyler Reddick at one point. Um. I had Brad, I had William Byron, so I had, you know, a couple guys that ended up having issues, and um, I kind of thought Kyle Busch was going to do it uh, this weekend, and he did not. Um, I had Chase Elliott as the top Chevy, and Ryan as the top Ford, and they were actually the second, you know, second best Chevy, second best Ford. Um, once again, Kyle Busch, Toyota, Joe Gibbs Racing is what I had there, and it didn't happen, so... Yes, I took a little bit of a kick there. You did. You are tumbling down the standings as we speak. So let's go ahead and through take a look at the top 10 of the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League overall standings. In first, we have Moon Cup with 3,218 points. In second, we have Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing with 3,216 points. So just two points separating the top two in the league. 
In third, we have Doug K0525. In fourth, we have Mez12, who's dropped a couple of spots this week with 3,141 points. In fifth, we have Glitterbugs. In sixth, we have Rogue Tough. In seventh, we have the Dalai Lama 4. In eighth, we have Vans12. In ninth, we have Blaney Kicks Beep. In tenth, we have Supermod. And I'm going to scroll down not that far like I used to into the 40s before. Now, in holding down the 25th position is Team Blaney Admin, which is my team in the NASCAR Fantasy Live League. I vaulted up the standings. Apparently it doesn't take that much uh, when you're on the lower end of things. You just hit a few, uh, a couple of weeks here. I've had two kind of back-to-back weeks where things have gone pretty well for me, and I'm roaring back into contention, and um, maybe that's the key. One is just to steal all of your strategies, and two, just put my picks in minutes before the race starts every week, and that has been the key to success for me so far. You're still not number one in your own house, though. Well, we're not going to talk about that, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) And she will tell you that she doesn't know what she's doing, so that really tells you uh, something about about my (laughs) my strategy here. All right, thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about myself or my co-host Steve, please listen to our first episode that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter at Team Blaney and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Team Blaney. Don't forget to also download, rate, and subscribe to the Team Blaney Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Once again, to close out the show, I want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. Find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and finally on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation. Don't forget to join the Blaney Bunch. He's not wrong. Join the fan club, support the foundation. For my co-host, Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next week on the Team Blaney Podcast.